0: If you have a Bible tonight, turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 26, uh, 27, and 28. That's what we want to look at tonight. And so last week, we had the opportunity uh, to take King Saul out. David did. And yet David would not do it. He had the opportunity. David said, I will not touch God's anointed. Radical statement, even though Saul... And I'm going to give you my opinion. He deserved to die. But he was God's anointed. God is the, the one that removes uh, those that, that are faltering. And so we want to look at the second time now in, uh, in 1 Samuel and now chapter 26. He spares his life again. And then we're going to look at the Philistines. They're going to come back into the picture. And then the Midian. The Median. Uh, in the last chapter. But let, let, we got a lot to cover. So 1 Samuel chapter 26, uh, David spares Saul's life. This is the second time. Now the Zephites came uh, to Saul at Gibeah, and they says, is David not hiding in the hill of Helica, opposite Jezmon? And so David is in the area of Zeph. He is in the wilderness between Hebron and the Dead Sea. This is called the Negev. It's a very barren area, uh, and uh, it's a very desert area. But remember, we've been sharing, David has been running every which way. And I mean, David is running from Saul. He doesn't want to die, obviously, but God's hand is upon David. Now, I remember David had been hiding uh, in, in in the caves in En Gedi, and that was the first time He had the opportunity to kill Saul. His men said, kill him. And David said, no, I will not touch God's anointed. And so in verse 2, then Saul arose and he went down to the wilderness of Zeph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him uh, to seek David in the wilderness of Zeph. Now remember, Saul has already cried. He's already uh, told David, "I'm sorry that I did this," but there's no true repentance. He's coming back at David again, and so David has to flee. In verse three, and Saul encamped in the hill of Hillechah, which is in the opposite of, of Jasmon, in the road by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness. God gives David wisdom how to flee, how to run, how to protect himself. In verse 4, it says, David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. I'm thinking David thought, it's not going to happen. I saw him crying. He said he wasn't going to, David, you're my son, he calls him. I'm not going to come after you. I'm wrong. But here he is again. He's at it at the same pace, you know. And so what does David do? But he has to run. And he has to flee. In verse 4, David therefore sent the spies out. They met with him. They saw him. And so David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay. Now listen to this. This is his right-hand man, his general, Abner and the son of Ner, The commander of his army. Now Saul lay with the camp, within the camp, and the people encamped all around him. So they're protecting Saul. David knows this. I believe the Holy Spirit gave David wisdom. I want you to approach Saul again, because that's exactly what he's going to do. So David arose in verse 6, and David answered and he said to Ahimelech, The Hittite and Abishai, uh, the son of Zariah Zariah, and and the brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Now, Zariah, this is uh, David's half-sister, it's believed. And these are the nephews. So these are family when you think about it. And these guys are, are very loyal to David. And so Saul has Abner and his men But David has his men also. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And there Saul was sleeping within the camp. With his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay round about him. Now I want you to think of the protection that they're doing here. Uh, They have to encircle uh, Saul. And you have to respect the spear That is there in front of his head. I look at that as the scepter. He is the general, he is the king, and they are protecting him. And there's David. As he was in the cave, now David is before him again. David went stealth at night, very quiet. But I'm asking this question Isn't there a guard? Isn't there somebody watching? Isn't there, you know, somebody that's taking the first watch, the second watch, the third watch? David is able to go in. Notice now, then Abishai said to David, and here's David's men again. God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Uh, Those are hard words. David's enemy? Now he is David's enemy, but it's David's king. It has to hurt David because he is his enemy. And David loves Saul. Now therefore, please let me strike him at once with a spear right to the earth. They're going to pin him to the ground. And I will not have to strike him a second time. The first blow, I will take care of it. And I put this in my notes as we shared in our last teaching. Be careful when people tell you what to do be careful when people say uh, God has placed your enemy before you has God spoken to David we already heard the the first time he had the opportunity and, and David responded I will not touch God's anointed and David wasn't about to touch God's anointed again I want you to mark this down later In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, uh, there's the song of David. It's called the song of thanksgiving. And in verse 22 in the song, David sings, do not touch God's anointed. David was recalling these times. And it hurt David when Saul finally dies. And we're going to see that. And so David had much respect uh, for his king, even though Saul, every opportunity, tried to take David out. Constantly uh, throwing javelins at him. Look at verse 9. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand, and listen to what David says, against the Lord's anointed, and then be guiltless. How can you even consider taking out God's king? God put him there. Even though he told Samuel, warn the people. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your children. Uh, He's going to make them servants. He's going to put them in the military. We don't care, the people said. We want a a king like all the other nations. God appointed him. Let God take him out. In verse 10, David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. I like what David's doing here. I asked this question because none of the commentary said so. Is he prophesying? Because Saul does die later, he's wounded, and then he has somebody thrust him through, he commits suicide. Look at verse 11. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug water, the water of jug, that is, that are at his head, and let's go. Uh, David needs proof. Remember what he did before? He cut off a piece of the garment, and he held up the garment to him. I was there, king. I had the opportunity. And now the spear, the scepter, if you may, and then being in the Negev, being in the high desert area, uh, the water is very, very uh, important commodity. And David says, let's take the water jug too. I like that. But David, again, touched not God's anointed. So David took the spear and the jug of water and by Saul's head, and he got away. And no man saw or knew or awoke. That has to be the Lord. For they were all asleep, because deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Who put them to sleep? God did. Come on, uh, military personnel here. And these are, you know, Saul's uh, elite forces, most likely. You know they had to be on guard. God put them out. I like that. Verse 13, now David. Now David went over to the other side, and he stood on top of the hill afar off. A great distance being between them. Wisdom of God. Stay away from him, David. And listen how David chides now. Abner. Abner should have been in charge. David knows that God's done this. But David's laying into him. And David called out to the people. And to Abner, the son of Nir, And he says, saying, do you not answer? He says, Abner. Then Abner answered and said, who are you? Calling out to the king. David, I believe, is chiding him. And then he's going to kind of harass him. He's putting him in his place. You're supposed to be taking care of the king. And so David said to Abner, are you not a man? He says, and who is like you in Israel? You're second in command. That's what he's telling him. Why then have you not guarded your lord, the king? Very important. This was Abner's job. For one of the people came in to destroy your Lord the King. David's speaking about himself. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die. Because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. Uh, Don't you appreciate that David keeps bringing this up? Saul is God's anointed. He's letting his men know. And he's letting Saul's men know. How dare you fall asleep, Abner? But David's letting him have it. (laughs) David's rebuking him. He says, again in verse 16, he says, the Lord's anointed your master and now see uh, where the king's spear is and a jug of water that was by his head. Now he is chiding him, but he's telling him truth also. Then Saul knew David's voice. Abner didn't recognize it. And he said, is that your voice? And listen to this again, this intimacy. My son David, he's called him my son before. David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. Respect. You can call it chiding. You can call it harassment. You can call it sarcasm. But yet look at the respect that David has towards Saul. I will not Touch God's anointed. In verse 18, and he said, Why does my Lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? I have no evil motive at all. David's already uh, brought this forth to Saul. David is saying, my heart is clean. My heart is clean, king. I love you. And David's proved that love. But he will not touch God's anointed. Listen to verse 19. Now I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation after. Because I get a better, better picture. In verse 19. Now therefore. Please. Let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred up you up against me. David saying. Let him accept an offering. In other words. Kill me. Let me be the offering. But if it. If it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Small g. The New Living Translation to me always gives me more insight, gives me more in-depth. And I love the New Living Translation. Look at verse 19 again. Now let my Lord, the king, listen to his servant David. If the Lord has stirred up you up against me then let him accept my offering what David is saying go ahead and kill me but if this is simply a human scheme then may those involved be cursed by the Lord for they have driven me from my home so I can no longer live among the Lord's people and they have said go worship pagan gods now none of this was true But this is what David is telling him. If it's me, and it's not David. It's not David. Men that are trying to stir it up. Men in David's side, men in, in, in Saul's side. David has nothing but compassion. But Saul, on the other hand, does want to take David out. And look at verse 20. Remember last week he spoke about a dead dog and he spoke about the flea. He comes back to it. He says, so now, do... Do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. David's speaking about himself. I'm nothing, David. I'm nothing, Saul. As, as one hunts partridge in the mountains, I'm just a, a, a dog, he says. I'm just a flea on the dog. Am I, am I just one that hunts after partridge? Is that what you're treating me like? Dave? You know, Saul, and David's opening up his heart. You can't blame him. Then Saul said, I have sinned. And here's Saul again. It seems like when Saul gets busted, it seems like when Saul gets found, he is quick uh, to say, I'm sorry. And, and guys, we need to listen to this. We can easily say, I'm sorry. We've all done it. But is there true repentance? There's where the key is. Is there true repentance? repentance because uh Saul makes it sound good doesn't he I have sinned he says return my son David for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in your eyes this day indeed I have played the fool and I have erred exceedingly but again if you're taking notes he's saying I'm sorry He's giving a lip service. He's giving what David needs to hear. But is there true repentance? Remember, uh, I can say I'm sorry over and over. That's what Judas Iscariot said. But is there true repentance? The change of mind, the change of heart, change of direction. And, and the fact that we're going to find him uh, seeking, out, seeking out guidance from the witch of Endor shows me that there is no repentance. In verse 22, and David answered and he said, here's the king's spear. Uh, let one of the young men come over and to get it. David returns the spear, uh, the scepter, if you may. I mean, he's the, the king. Uh, he's the, uh, the general in charge. And imagine that Abner would have a spear and, and you know, Saul doesn't. And so David rightfully returns it to him. I like that in verse 23 may the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness for the Lord delivered you into my hand today but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed David loves that phrase he believes that phrase he believes it's of God I can see David's heart here in verse 24 and 25, And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my, my life be valued much in your in the eyes of the Lord, and let Him deliver me out of all the tribulation. Saul, Saul could not see. Saul could not see what he was doing wrong. And I have to share this. Sometimes we don't see it because of our anger. Sometimes we don't see it because of our our bitterness. Sometimes we don't see it because of our hatred. And it's all building up. And what is keeping us from truly repenting? Our pride. And what was uh, uh, Lucifer's fall? Pride. What was King Nebuchadnezzar's fall? Pride. When we fall, what is our problem? Pride. And what does the proverb say? Then Pride comes before destruction and then the fall. And so, uh, guys, we need to take heed. Ladies, you need to take heed. This is David. I mean, David truly repented. And yet, David was a man of bloodied hands. But here's Saul. He's not letting it go. Even though he says he is. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both go... Do great things, and I also still prevail. And and you're still going to prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now, at this point, they separate. And at this point, you're going to see Saul go further and further. I mean, words are good, but where's the action? Where's the action? You know, we can say it, but is it done? And this was Saul. In chapter 27, David goes back to the Philistines. David, what are you doing? But this was David's life also. David, why are you marrying so many women? This was David's life. Why did you go into Bathsheba? She wasn't your wife. And then you had her husband killed to, to cover up your sin. This was David. And yet the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. That's forgiveness. That's what Psalm 51 is all about. And so look at verse 1, uh, Samuel uh, chapter 27. And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me then that I should steadily escape to the land of the Philistine. And Saul will disappear uh, or despair of me. Uh, to seek me anymore in any of the other parts of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. As I read this. I'm asking myself, David, aren't you trusting God? Saul said he's taken off. You have to trust God. But David is, is watching. He, he doesn't trust. Saul. And in a sense, you can't blame him. Uh, One of my commentaries said, and uh, you can take it for what it's worth, David is making a, a negative confession here. He's not trusting God. And see, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45 specifically, in the Sermon on the Mount, God says, It rains on the just and the unjust, it rains on the good and it rains on the evil. And I mean, we know that fact when it comes to a tornado. It can take out one city block on this side and then leave the other city block or skip houses. And and you're talking about Christian homes and non-Christian homes. It doesn't matter. And so David is not trusting the Lord. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. The negative confession is that Didn't God ordain you? Hasn't God ordained you? The the kingdom has been taken away from Saul. You're next in line. But David, just so fearful of King Saul because he's not going to come against him. I think he could have taken him out. He had two opportunities, obviously. In verse 2, then David arose and he went over with 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. History repeating itself. David should not be there. And so David uh, dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his men, each man with his own household. And David with his two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelite, and Abigail the Carmelite. Nabal's widow, widow that is. And last week, uh, we saw that how he, uh, Nabal was finally killed uh, while he died of a heart attack. And then David took uh, Abigail as his wife. In verse 4, and it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, and so he sought him no more. And so maybe then David did the right thing. I still don't think so. Saul realizes David, and he leaves him alone now. Yet, you think at this point, Saul's made some repentance. But what is the king of Israel? Doing at the Witch of Endor. Why is he seeking a medium? Why do Christians read their astrological signs? Why do Christians buy Ouija boards? Why do Christians read their tea leaves? Why do Christians buy tarot cards? Why do Christians, if any of you know anybody that goes to that lady on Solano, Christians do it. I've heard Christians say... I got to watch it today. What's going on? You have a premonition? No, I read my astrological sign. Really? Really? Be careful, church. Be careful. And so, listen to what's going to take place now. Then David said to Achish, If I have, in verse 5, if I have now found favor, In your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in your country that I may dwell there. Uh, For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? He's not asking to stay there. Put me somewhere else. And it is going to be another area called Ziglag. And and so Achish has a change of heart. But remember, David played the lunatic there before. And they say, why would you bring this man here to me? And so now uh, David comes back. He finds grace in this man's heart. And so Achish gave uh, him Ziglag that day. Therefore, Ziglag had belonged to the kings uh, of Judah to this day. Ziglag was given to the tribe of Judah back in Joshua chapter 15. The Philistines take it back, and then Judah's going to take it back later. It was a constant battle for that place. But notice how long David stays there. Now, David's there with his family. His men are there, obviously, with their families. And so they're able to sustain themselves there. And David's going to make some night runs and some skirmishes. You're going to see that. And Achish doesn't even know it's happening. Now, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was one full year and four months. David and his family and his men and their families. Now... In verse 8, and David and his men went up and raided uh, the Girgashites, uh, the Gerzites, and the Malachites. For those nations were uh, the inhabitants of the land uh, from of old, as you go through Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And so uh, David's invading uh, cities of the Philistines and also uh, Canaanite cities. And the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. We go back and we can study that history. In verse 9, whenever David attacked the land, listen to David's logic. He left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, uh, the uh, apparel, the clothing, and returned and he came to Achish. Uh, This was generally done when you took a victory. You took the spoils of the land. But not always did you kill off all the people. I have to include that the children were also killed. David wanted to leave nobody behind. He didn't want to leave any kind of a testimony. And so you often think uh, when you kill somebody and then they come back to kill you, then they kill you and all your offspring, lest they come after you later. And so David has another motive. That's what I believe. Watch as we continue now. Then Achish, verse 10, uh, says, uh, Where have you made a raid today? Achish is asking him. And David would say against the, the southern area of Judah. And that would be the Hebrews, his, David's people. Or against the southern area uh, of the Jeremelites Or uh, against the southern area of the Kenites. And so Achish had no clue that these were his own people. David's not telling him the truth, but he's buying it. In verse 11, David uh, would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, thus David did. And thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. Again, there's that proof text of David was a bloodied man. David uh, took people out. It didn't face him. And this is why you know it's of God that he did not touch Saul. And he repeats it over and over. I will not touch God's anointed. And so David was a man of bloodied hands. He was not allowed uh, to build a temple. It was given to Solomon. In verse 12, so Achish believed David... And said, he has made his people Israel utterly abhor uh, him. Therefore, he will be my servant forever. Achish is buying into this whole thing. Because he doesn't know what's going on. He's believing David. And David's not bothering him. He's not at Gath. He's over there in Ziglag. And so now we come into 1 Samuel chapter 28. We know chapter 27 was a short chapter. There's a couple of verses here, and it could have easily been part of chapter 27. But here in chapter 28, Saul, the king of Israel, consults a medium. And I want you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It was forbidden by the law. And so, please don't come up to me after and say, well, Pastor Bob, that was Old Testament. uh, So today I can still go see that lady on Solano. No. Notice now. Now it happened, verse 1, in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war uh, to fight with Israel. Achish said uh, to David, you surely know, uh, assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle and you and your men. How the tide turns? (laughs) David is with Achish. And and yet, David had killed their their warrior, Goliath. Remember that. David has been invading and and, and killing all Philistine cities. Destroying all the men and the women. Taking of the spoils. And it's hard for me to understand and to believe that Achish doesn't know. But God could easily blind him. So to me, David got rid of all the proof. In verse 2, so David said to Achish, Surely uh, you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. David became Achish's personal uh, right-hand man or his personal bodyguard. Hard to understand, hard to grasp, And so we leave this portion, and we come back to Saul now. And Saul goes to uh, the city of Endor, and there's a witch there. Now, Saul knows about it. Saul is the one that got rid of the Midians. Uh, They had to get rid of these things. It was by the law, and yet he goes out there. Now, a a Midian is a wizard, familiar spirit, and why is Saul going here? Remember that Samuel has passed away. And so there's no prophet. And he's going to share that. Watch this now. In verse 3. And now Samuel had died. And we had already read that. And all Israel had lamented for him. And buried him in Ramah. In his own city. And Saul had put the Midian and the Spiritus. Out of the land. So these are the wizards and the familiar spirits and those that uh, incantations and those that necromancing and all that. They got rid of them. They actually uh, sent them off to other cities. And so Saul did this. Now, on your own, not only Deuteronomy 18, but the law also forbid it in Exodus chapter 22. Then the Philistines gathered together and they came and encamped in Shunan. And so Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. This is the area of Mount Gilboa, very popular, very famous in Israel, where Saul and his sons are going to die in battle. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. Now, David's supposed to be with them. He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Why did fear come in? Fear is not of the Lord, but the Lord is not with Saul. And so fear sets in. And I can honestly say that uh, when fear sets in, I have to ask, where's the Lord in your life? This is what's happening uh, to Saul. The Lord is not in his life. Notice now in verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid. Verse 6, and when Saul inquired of the Lord. So he goes back and does what he's supposed to do, but the Lord's not there. Why? Because Saul has rejected the Lord. Saul has rejected the Lord. Why should the Lord be there? Uh, When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer. Remember the various ways? Neither by dreams or visions, you can add, or by the Urim and the Thumin, That was the breastplate, underneath the breastplate, the two stones, or by the prophets. Because Samuel is dead. In verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a Midian, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a Midian in Endor. Now, I have to ask another question here. These guys didn't discourage Saul. (laughs) It seems that they knew of this Midian. And this Midian that they're going to inquire, they work for Satan. They're part of the demons. And demons can materialize to you. And demons can come in the form of a loved one. Listen to me. And the demon can come and give you information that only you know. And then you say, it's got to be of God. The demons know your past. They know your present. They don't know your future. And so be very careful. And I say it with love and compassion because I'm telling you, even some of my own family members Oh, I had this dream, I had this vision, and things have come to pass. And so they say, it's of God. And it's very hard because they don't understand. Remember what we shared? Satan comes how? As an angel of light. Satan comes how? Disguised. If he came with the red pajamas and the pitchfork, and you guys would freak out. And by the way, he doesn't look like that, okay? And that's just human nature. This it's beautiful. Has to be of God. Look at all the bright lights. Look at all the flowers. I mean, people get sucked in because they don't know the scriptures. And so Saul disguises himself. Why? He's the king of Israel. Verse 8: Saul disguises himself and he puts on other clothing. He went incognito and he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said, please conduct the seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And the Hebrew, it says, I want you to bring up familiar spirit for me. Then the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done. She's looking right at Saul. How he has cut off the Midians and the Spiritus from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? She knew that this is a Hebrew. And then I'm asking this question. She's most likely a Hebrew. Saul's run them off. All of these are disobeying the law. It's interesting, when you want something, you're going to go out of your way. And you're going to go and do every means possible. That's how people operate. People want to find a a loophole, as they say. And so, David, or excuse me, Saul has no business. His men aren't stopping him. Had they been to the witch of Endor in time past? Who knows? And Saul swore to her, by the Lord. You're trying to work with demonology, and then you, you make a, a, a covenant. I swear to God. I swear to Jehovah God. And this is what we were sharing Sunday. You have religion, and, and then you have, you know, the spiritist coming into the picture. I, I'm telling you, there are Christians out there that dabble in it. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Let me look into the crystal ball. I'll give you some answers. I mean, people, they want, you know, I was intrigued when I came to Saving Grace. I want to know the future. What's going to happen? What did I do? I read the book of Revelation. You want to know what's going to happen at the end? Read the book of Revelation. Don't be going to that lady on Solano. I don't know why I'm picking on her, but I hate that place when I go by and I pray for it all the time. Lord, shut her down. Because I know people go to her, as well as other places. Notice now, and Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He's praying to God. Uh, Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? She's done this before. And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Bring up Samuel for me. Now she obviously did it. Because in verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now she knows. It was not a demon that normally would rise and she knew it. She was used to the demons to come. But it was Samuel. It freaked her out. This never happened before. Pastor Chuck, in his commentary on verse 12, uh, gives beautiful insight. I want to read it to you. The witch was shocked. She even screamed when she saw Samuel. It could be she had been using... As spirit mediums often to do such. A particular demonic spirit uh, that gives these mediums information. There is a reality to the spirit world. But we are warned in the scriptures. Deuteronomy 18, uh, Exodus 22, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Is it possible, Chuck asked, to contact the spirit entities? It is very possible, he says. But it will be a demon disguised as a different person. Even someone you may know, uh, demons throughout various ages of history, they observe and they uh, know your life, they know my life, and they're able uh, to tell you facts about your life, especially your past that many times nobody knows but you and many people throughout history have been drawn into these things but we are warned not to dabble in these things astrological signs uh, tarot cards the Ouija board the crystal ball the eight ball the tea leaves uh the psychics, they even made a, a sitcom on psychics. They're real. They're real, but they're demonic. Palm reading. And, and there's so many other things. On your own, I want you to Google when you get home, who are the top medians in the United States of America? I'm going to give you three. Some of you probably heard the second one. George Anderson. He, he was a natural-born Midian. And look into it. That guy is something else. Teresa Caputo. The Long Island Madam, they called her. And uh, she was raised uh, as a Midian. It was part of her family culture. And the last one is Chip Coffee. There's seven more that are considered the top ones. And, and people with money, they go. They want to hear. Uh, this woman is very popular, this Teresa Caputo. She's very popular. I, I, I watched the documentary on her, and boy, do they flock to her. And she charges lots of money. But she's giving me my answers. Nobody knew about that situation. How did she know? It's got to be about God. And they talk about things, oh, they're telling you from heaven. Well, it's a, not heaven, it's, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Listen to verse 13 now. And the king said to her, do not be afraid, talking to the Midian. And he says, what, what did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, what is his form? And he said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped down with his face to the ground and he bowed. I'm going to give you a little more insight. There is no other scriptural base that somebody comes back such as Samuel. Now, Where was Samuel? Wasn't in heaven yet. Because everybody that died in God from Genesis up to Matthew, you find them in Sheol or hell or Hades in Luke chapter 16. Remember, there's two compartments. There's two compartments. And one is Abraham's bosom called paradise and the other one is called Sheol. All the senses are working in hell. And they can look over to the other side of the cavern and they could see being comforted in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man and the story of Luke chapter 16, he says, said somebody and dip their finger in water, and place it on my tongue because I'm burning the reality. And there's those that don't believe. They don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. And yet, doesn't Jesus speak about both? And scholars will tell you he spoke a lot more on hell than he did about heaven because so many are going there. And hell was never created uh, for man; Hell was created for the fallen angels. Do not be afraid. And so what is Saul doing at this point? And Samuel comes back. Watch this. Look at verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not appear, uh, answer, does, not, does not answer me anymore. Neither my pro- by prophets, Samuel's gone, nor by dreams or visions. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Tell me what I should do. The Urim and the thuman is not working. No dreams and visions. No prophet to come and tell me. So, I have to go to the witch. Oh, be careful, church. If God is not answering you, your life's not right. If God is not answering you, it might be that it's not time for you to know that. And so there's a lot of variations. but to take it to the witch of Endor, Saul, what are you doing? What are you doing? Listen to what's going on in Saul's life. Then Samuel said in verse 16, so why do you ask me, seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? Radical statement. Seeing that the Lord has departed from you, He took away the mantle, and it was handed over to Jesse, or Jesse's son David. Now, remember the word Ichabod in First Samuel chapter four. Eli and his sons Hophni and Phineas, uh, the sons die in battle, and then the Ark of the Covenant is captured. And they come back to tell Eli when he heard that his sons were killed and then he heard that the Ark of the Covenant was taken. He fell backwards and broke his neck and he died. Remember Phineas, his wife gives birth and she named the son Ichabod. The word Ichabod in the Hebrew, the glory of the Lord has departed. That's what's happened to Saul. That's what's happened to Saul. The glory of the Lord has departed. It's just a matter of time. He stayed in his position as king. But the time was coming. David was learning by the mistakes of Saul. and Then David eventually takes over. And again, David made his own mistakes. But he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. It's a sad commentary in the life of Saul. In verse 17, And the Lord has uh, done for himself as he spoke by me. Uh, For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor. David, that's exactly what happened. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath uh, against the Amalekites. Remember he was told, Go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. He brought back the choice sheep, And he brought back King Agag. Brought him back as a trophy. Remember what Samuel said? He took his sword out from Saul. He says, this is what you were supposed to do. And the Bible says he hacked Agag to death in pieces. Radical statement. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord... In verse 19, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel uh, with you into the hand of the Philistine. And tomorrow you and your sons will, uh, will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel uh, into the hand of the Philistine. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. He knew that judgment was coming. He's hearing it. He's listening to it. You wanted prophecy? You got it. Look at verse 21 now. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was uh, severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and and heeded the, the words which you spoke to me. And now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength that you go on your way. But he refused and he said, I will not eat. So his servants, uh, together with the woman, urged him and he heeded their voice. And then he arose from the ground and he sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf. In the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. And so she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they did eat and they rose and they went away by night. But the judgment is already proclaimed. And, church, again, before we conclude, uh, Saul brought this upon himself. You can't blame God. God will give us every opportunity, every avenue. Every opportunity, every avenue. When the Lord warns us, what do we think? I'm including myself. Well, I'm under the grace of God. Yes, you're under the grace of God, but why would we challenge the grace of God? I hope and pray when we do something wrong, even the littlest thing... That there is conviction conviction of the holy spirit and and trust me if there's no conviction then the holy spirit has departed if there's no conviction then the holy spirit has departed i can guarantee you you're here tonight not just everybody goes to midweek bible studies The Holy Spirit's working in your life as he's working in my life. And so when conviction comes, let the Spirit of God speak to you and take care of it. Don't shrug it off and and don't say, oh, you know, nobody saw it. Psalm 139 is the all-seeing eye of God. He sees all things. And I truly believe there's some judgment coming in our United States of America. We know that. But I truly believe before the rapture of the church comes, there has to be some type of a revival. And in order for a revival to come to the United States of America, there has to be some type of judgment. Isn't it interesting? We all turn to God when the hurricanes come, when the Katrinas come, when the earthquakes come, when, when we're, oh, everybody was behaving in September because, you know, all these things are going to happen. Oh, maybe it's next September. All right, so we can goof off for a whole year. A lot of people think that way. Oh, the rapture's coming. Let me get a credit card and max it out. Be careful, church. God desires holiness. God desires righteousness. I am not holy. I am not righteous. Neither are you. It's only by the grace of God. So let's all stand. We're going to enter a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord, and we ask you to bless this study as it's come forth, Lord. Let us take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying uh, to the church. Let us take heed to those that are listening to the CD later, uh, later when it might be on the radio, and then, Lord, those uh, listening on live stream, Lord, speak to our hearts, Father. Minister to our hearts. Let us not shrug it off as Saul did. But let us take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And Lord, I ask you to prepare uh, Matthew and Katie's heart, Lord, as they're going to be going before you in holy matrimony, uh, an institution uh, of of law, of a covenant that you gave uh, to your people back in Genesis, Lord. And it needs to be honored. Lord, bless their marriage. And Lord, bless your people as they've come. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying... Amen.